0: You are experiencing the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast.
1: It is May 8th, 2023, and welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we are bringing you the people and the organizations fighting for liberty around the country and in your region. And today we have with us Lars Mapstead, and he is a candidate for the 2024 Libertarian Party uh, presidential nomination. And uh, it's part of a series that we're doing on that so that we can introduce you to all of the candidates so that you can make an informed decision out there. Um, And we have already talked to Lars a little bit about his background and an earlier show. Now today we're going to dig deep into some of the particular issues. Uh, So we've got a list of about eight or nine issues that we're going to go deep on. Uh, but before we get into that, let me introduce you to the rest of the panel. In our lower left-hand corner, we have our invisible hand, James Just. Uh, he is visible today <laughs> in front of the and camera. And grumpy,
0: <laughs> and grumpy. Let's just remind <laughs> us that I'm grumpy when I have to be on TV at this time of day. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's, uh, he's grumpy, but he should be excited because he was just elected, re-elected, uh, the Sacramento County Libertarian Party chair. So <laughs>
0: Excited is a word for it, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh but anyways, uh so we're, we're going to jump into these topics today. And to kick it off, uh well first uh James, can you real real quick bring up Lars webpage too, just so I can show people where it's at? So it's uh Lars24.com and you can go find out more about them and we'll bring it up again at the end of the show. Uh but first topic we wanted to dive into today is education, probably one of the most important topics. And uh, we saw that you know, government monopolized education is always kind of a terrible thing. It, you know, shuts down diversity of ideas. Uh, But even more to the point, it shuts down things when they don't even have the education running, which is what happened during the pandemic. I mean, they literally just shut everybody out of the schools, and it was like, good luck. And so it's turned out that kids have have essentially fallen behind and lost about a year of education and uh, development. Uh, So it's uh, just, you know, terrible on a lot of fronts, but it's also been a big boost for people thinking about school choice. Um, We've had recent victories. Arizona has sort of been kind of leading the way on a sort of across-the-board choice, Uh, but there's been some other States following that as well. Um, and we have a, a little map here uh, from the Hoover Institute that shows, uh, you know, kind of how different states are doing. The darker the state, the more choice there is. So you you look down here, like, say, at Florida, and you click on it, and they have all these different options. Whereas you go to someplace like California, a little bit of choice, surprisingly, but fewer options. And then, oddly, you go to some of these, uh, you know, center of the country states, and uh, there's not many choices. Uh, and I think some of that's just because it's really rural, and so they have a hard time. Time, you know with some of that uh, but uh, anyway so that's what's going on with uh, I, I guess this is some of what's going on with education so Lars as running for president and um, <clears throat> you know what would you do on the issue of education and and how would you advocate uh, what would you advocate Congress to do you know from the bully pulpit as well?
2: Yeah I, I'm a big fan of, of from the bottom up government. So more more local is better. I would like, you know, less state and less federal government in your life. So to that end, essentially, uh, I think that the Department of Education is a total failure, that it doesn't know what's best for uh, people in Kansas and people in Iowa and people in California and people, you know, everybody has a different uh Ideas of what they want their kids to learn and how they want them to learn. And I think the federal government just coming in and putting this blanket over the top of everybody, uh, basically, like you said, it just puts everybody in a box and it, and it makes everybody a conformist to, to learn a certain way. Um, You know, our education system, living in California, as you guys do, uh, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and they're very upset with the system. They don't like the system. They think it's broken. They feel like that they're more of a uh, babysitter and a a policeman than they are an educator oftentimes. Uh, You know, there's it's very telling when your kid uh, is getting straight A's. Or, and is just completely crushing it in school, and they miss a day in school, and the and the school is flipping out. Where's the kid? Why isn't the kid in school? And I'm like, what? What does it matter? Did it, did they miss a test? Did they? You know, no. We need that kid in school because that's how we get our money. Like, if they miss one day in California, they don't get paid that day, right? And so they're not. A, they don't care about educating your kid. They care about making sure your kid's in the system so they get their money. Which is that's completely opposite of what the education system should be. And it kind of is telling of what the problem is all across the country. So abolishing the Department of Education is the first step as, as president, and then leaving it to uh, the, each state to like deal with their own issues. Uh, and, and each state really should be looking at the successful states and emulating those uh, those proposals, basically.
1: Well, you know what? One thing that really jumped out at me from what you said, and that was the metrics issue, right? I mean, the idea that they're 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 freaking out over whether or not your kid is in school because that's the metric that they're having whether or not they're succeeding, right? I right. mean, it, <laughs> they've got yeah. the butt in the seat, but they they really can't tell, you know? I mean, how well this person is doing, you know? Once yeah. uh, once they leave the classroom, so yeah, uh, it, it's just kind of uh, well. You're not allowed
0: to judge, right? So if you're not allowed to judge people, then how are you? Can you? educate them properly that's right you're not allowed to judge people's paths which fair enough we all learn at different rates and, and everything but stop comparing children to other children and compare them to themselves are, are this child making progress and we can actually have a you know make some progress on education rather than hey your, your kid doesn't fit into the box well of course not your box is stupid <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Well, you, you know, one of the funny experiences I had, too, is in, when I was in high school, I felt very much like the way Lars was describing it as, as babysitting. I mean, that's what it felt like to me in the public school system. And consequently, I wasn't very interested and I wasn't showing up very much. They were probably very disappointed with me. <laughs> not, not, the uh, same. I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah but, but the crazy thing was when I went to community college, it was completely different. And I think the reason was is because everybody in community college was there because they wanted to be there. And so there was a choice happening,
2: whereas, right. in, yeah, well, you pay to be there. Right. Yeah, so if you're going to pay to be there, then you're probably going to make an effort to make it worthwhile for you. Right. And if and if it's not working for you, you're going to drop out. Right. And it's and that doesn't happen in the public system. It's just you're there, whether it's working for you or not. Uh, and you're just going to suck it up because they need your money for you to be, like you said, in that chair, whether you want to be there or not. Right. And so, yeah, I had the exact same experiences that high school was, was horrible. And I got to community college and I was like, Oh, here's people that actually want to learn and they're going to actually teach me something and I'm paying for it. So I better uh, make the best of it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's complete trans transformation for me. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um Agreed. Yeah,
1: well, you know, th- this does bring us into another topic, and it's sad that this is the transition, but it's a transition on uh, to identity politics because we see it happening so much in the schools. Uh, it's it's happening in a lot of other places too. But James, maybe I could get the visual on this. Uh, so all over the country, uh, these different um, <clears throat> uh, different. Uh, uh, Colleges and universities are ending their reliance on standardized testing, and it's just it, it, it. seems like the whole point of standardized testing is to try to have an objective measure to figure out whether or not uh, somebody is likely to do well if they go into that college, and uh, and yet uh, you know uh, the UC system sort of led the way in saying, "Hey, uh, we don't like the makeup of the." You know uh, of, of what the, the the essentially the melanin levels of the student body. <laughs> We're not comfortable with it. Therefore, we don't like the metric that's leading to that. And so they decided to get rid of the SAT tests. Uh, and uh, you see the same thing is now happening at uh, California State University. Um, and um, th- that same thing is happening, and quite frankly, all over the country, they're starting to question whether or not they want to have this. Um, so. We, we see it happening in the schools but also too we see uh you know this other crazy things happening in government as well like uh, for instance in covid policy biden was making it a very clear point that he was going to prioritize f- uh, government help after locking you down and potentially ruining your business and shutting it down then he would say okay now if you want to come to me for help i got to check your skin color first <laughs> <laughs> tell you, to, tell you your eligibility, and I mean, you know, some of this stuff seems nuts. So, uh, you know, what do you think about this, Lars? I mean, because clearly, if 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 you manage to win the office, uh, you're going to have to deal with some of the expectations on some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, I think culture war, identity politics. Uh, I I feel like it's invented by the elites in Washington to, and and pushed by the media, which is is backed by those elites. Right. And I I feel like it's basically just to keep us divided, to keep us arguing and fighting with each other so that we're not paying any attention to them and what they're doing to us with, you know, stealing our liberties and stealing our freedoms and and pushing, you know, the nanny state on us. Right. It's like as long as we're fighting about these issues, uh, then we're distracted from what's really going on, which is they keep taking away our rights and 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 keep uh, foisting on us basically the nanny state to to have us run our lives. Uh, you know, yeah, the education system is is a mess, and it's uh, I feel like again it's down to the individual level. If if a if a state college or a community college feels the best way to uh, to identify their students as just to give them tests, then that's fine. Uh, but every, every area should have their own ideas of what is going to work for them and their community. And it shouldn't be uh, judged by the federal government or, or handed down from on high. I just I think that that, is, that that doesn't work for me.
1: Well, yeah, I think it, ultimately this is kind of a kind of like a school choice type of thing, you know. Just l- let all this experimentation happen, and if somebody picks a lousy metric, well, at least it only affects you know one or two schools instead of the whole system. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, the the free market basically. If you if you allow education to be run by the free market, the, the best practices will come to the top, right? The things that have the most success will come to the top. And what you you know, one of the things I always say is if you want. Uh, the quality of uh, service to go down and the cost to go up, just get government involved, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so and so that's what's happened with our education system is that it's just gotten less and less service, poorer and poorer quality, and the cost is going up and up and up. And a lot of that is all the bureaucracy, right? All the middle management of education. If, if it was just left up to the teachers to teach, Uh, I think the system would work a lot better, but you have these layers of management that just leach all the money out of the system and 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 basically suck all the air out of the system for the actual teachers who are doing the work. Right. So I'd like to put more power back in the teacher's hands than all this administrative stuff. Uh, You know, we have all these. different school boards, like in my county, we probably have six or seven school boards. Do we really need that much administration? Right? I mean, I feel like we could get rid of a lot of the administration and cut the cost dramatically. But that's not really a president thing. That's more of a local state kind of an issue. But it's something that I think about. Mm
1: -hmm. James, were you going to jump in or?
0: Yes, but I forgot what I was going to say. So that's what happens at 7 at 8 o'clock in the morning.
1: So there you go. Just a a Biden moment and uh, (laughs) And (laughs) impact. There you go. Um, Well, you know, speaking of uh, Biden, uh, you know, Big Brother has kind of been a big issue, you know, in government as of late. And uh, uh, one of the big issues that we're dealing with is this whole idea of the government deciding – what is true information? What isn't true information? So Jane, maybe you could bring up uh, uh, some of the stories here we have on Big Brother. Uh, So in in this case, uh, uh, here we have a Reason article that uh, talks about the Twitter files here. And uh, you can see here Matt Taibbi and um, uh, Michael Schellenberger, and they were two of the journalists brought in to kind of uncover that. And quite frankly, we wouldn't even know a lot of this stuff if an entrepreneur hadn't bought twitter (laughs) elon musk i mean if he hadn't gone in there and just bought it you know for whatever his motives were and and then unearthed all this stuff we'd still be sitting here being gaslighted by the government that everything that's happening that you know this supposed censorship that that we think we're experiencing, you know, but don't worry, you're not experiencing. We we actually had a little bit on this show too. We had a show we were doing on, um, gosh, I can't remember what was called, uh, the innovation race. And it had to do with uh, uh, intellectual property in China. And the, the, the show was literally blocked uh, uh, on the live stream Now we were able to show it after the live stream but for whatever reason they, they blocked it and it was funny because it was divided there was a prominent democrat and a prominent republican in the movie uh, and we were interviewing somebody from the show but it was just uh, you know th- this is the kind of stuff that you're experiencing there and that wasn't even a red blue thing that was just sort of a, uh, a, a a big trade China corporation type issue you know <laughs> So, uh, but, but, anyways, uh, so, so we have that. And then, of course, we have the issue where uh, Biden literally tried to get a ministry of truth in the Department of Homeland Security. So, uh, you know, he was clearly doing this co- or covertly through Twitter and stuff, asking these, uh, uh, social media companies to censor stuff he didn't like but then they tried to do it overtly by having something where all these companies could then just look for a standard and the government would set the standard on what was fake and what wasn't mm-hmm. fake and uh, uh fortunately we had enough sense as a country not to go along with that um but anyways what do you think of this uh um Lars? i mean to me this seems to be the uh, one of the biggest dangers of our time the idea yes. that we're having to deal with this
2: Yeah. Not only is it one of the biggest dangers of our time, but think about the Twitter files. Has anything really happened from that? Has there been any action or any legislation out of government or any real in-depth investigation into that? Really? I mean, it's, it's right on the border of government suppression of speech, which is a fundamental right that we have. And it's clear that the government was in there meddling, right? And so why aren't these FBI agents, why aren't the the agents that were in there meddling, have all those people been fired? Have you heard anything about it? No, there's nothing. It's just crickets out there, right? And it's like, uh, and then we just get moved on to the next outrage that there is. And we forget all about the fact that the government was suppressing our speech, right? And that is a fundamental right. That's like that When you start going down that road, you start to become China and Russia and North Korea and these places where it's totalitarian, authoritarian. They just tell you what you can say, how you can say it. Uh, I feel like this is, should be a much bigger issue than it is. Um, and I would be looking as president to, like, hold these people accountable that did this. Like, why isn't the head of the FBI just fired? Like, this happened under your watch. Like your, your whole job is to uphold the constitution and you're not doing that. And if you were a private company and you weren't doing your job, they fire you. But in Washington, they like, maybe they move things around or maybe they just cause some more drama to like direct your attention away to the other thing. Like I was talking about the culture war issues. They just make that stuff up to like redirect all your attention. There'll be some new thing. And the media is completely. Completely complicit with it, right? They push that propaganda, and people, like you said, only have thirty seconds to figure it out. That's what they're sitting down with their beer at night and watching the TV, and and they basically just get whatever's put in front of them, right? And so uh, we're in a really dangerous time where our liberties are are being given up. Um, I don't believe that we should give up liberty uh, out of fear. Uh, you know like and we're we're being asked to do that all the time right you, you the patriot act the homeland uh defense system uh this new system that they're talking about the the restrict act over tiktok right and it's not about banning tiktok it's about banning your freedoms right and so uh i'm a, i'm opposed to all this stuff it's just uh we need to get back to living our lives as best we can without you know government in interfering and spying on us the surveillance state all that stuff needs to end it's just it uh it doesn't really serve a purpose sure it might call out a few bad actors but everybody has to suffer because of a few people and i feel like we should just live our lives without fear and move forward right yeah well
0: whistleblowers get prosecuted while the people they blow the whistle on yes get rewarded literally yeah. get promoted yeah is we're, we're living in a back ass <laughs> yeah world In it's insane it literally is insane where those people who are whose supposed job is to protect our constitutional rights continually violate them and and get rewarded while those who expose them get trashed if not if not prosecuted right yep it's 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 that's actually the scary part it's and how many people just go along with it are willing to just kind of blindly go along with it it's I find scary.
1: Well, what could be more patriotic than snowden uh sacrificing his future his his potentially his life to tell the country that the government is lying to us i mean to me i i can't think of a more patriotic thing and yet he is the one who has been uh exiled <laughs> and the, yeah. the person who was lying that he showed was lying uh nothing's happened to him he's getting uh you know he gets to be a, a highly paid person to come on uh you know the cult news network you know cnn <laughs> (laughs)
0: and he gets his pension (laughs) and his and that
2: just shows you the power of the state right that just shows you the power of the state that they can literally be called out for uh, oppressing their own citizens and then they just sweep it under the rug and and make the guy a bad guy right like that is that shouldn't happen i i personally if i am president i'll be uh you know pardoning Snowden, Asanage, Albright. There's a, there's a list of like 15 people straight away. And there's a lot of people that have done the similar kind of things that don't have the notoriety that those guys have. And I'll be pardoning them too, because we need to not have fear that our government is going to come after us if we're telling the truth about our government, even if it's bad, right? Like we need to be able to hear that. And as I said previously, we need to hold all these people accountable. When they're doing, when they're bad actors, they shouldn't get a free ride, right? If they're harming U.S. citizens, they're attacking us, and so they need to be held account accountable for that. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of other issues in Big Brother, <laughs> Big Brother wants yet more control over the currency. Uh, James, maybe you could bring up the visual on this. So, uh, so uh, CBDC, you may have heard of, and that central bank digital currencies. Um You know, essentially, they 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 decided. Okay, just going fiat and handing you paper money that says "In God We Trust" isn't <laughs> it isn't enough. Now they want to literally make it digital so that they can have yet more control and be able to turn off your ability to even spend the dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and and we saw something like this similar to in the trucker protests in Canada where it wasn't. Quite, you know, the digital currency issue, but, you know, people were trying to transfer these people money and the Canadian government was able to get in there and shut it down. And certainly that would be a lot easier if the government absolutely controlled the digital currency. What do you think of this, Lars? It sounds yeah. like a huge threat.
2: Oh, I am. Absolutely. This is the horrible, horrible <laughs> affront. It's a total authoritarian grab on on us. Uh, right now, 95 percent of all transactions are already digital. Only 5% of transactions happen in cash, right? So so that is already the thing. The, the reason why CBDC is so much more horrible than the system that we have right now is that it gives the government transaction data. Every time you buy anything, it goes to the government and they know everything you've bought. And if they decide that you're not worthy of that purchasing that thing, they can just instantly turn you off. The other thing is, is that they can tax you in real time right they know every transaction that you did uh there's no hiding anything there's you know the the IRS system is just going to get even more uh intrusive uh you know I don't want this but I th- this is going to happen this is going to happen there's not there's really not anything that's going to stop this unfortunately i would like to see a system where we have, you know, we have digital currencies, which is what this is, but it's an abomination of digital currency. I like the decentralized idea of having many different currencies competing in the market, right? And the mark let the market decide what the best currency is. Let the market decide the best way that we all want to transact together. And I'm sure that that way is not going to be Cbdc. <laughs> that is not the one that's not the one that's going to win, right? like if you if you let a free and open market happen, but of course, the government, has control over stopping that, right? They're going to regulate the hell out of the other systems and promote their own system. And they're also feeling competition because China's doing this, other countries are doing this. They don't want to feel like they're left out or that they're missing the boat in some way. But this is another one of those paths that we just don't really want to be going down. We, I like the anonymity of cash when I want to have it. If I want to do a private transaction with you, I should be able to do that. And the government should have no overview of our transaction uh, as long as it's, you know, legal and we're not harming other people.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully a, a libertarian president, Mapstead, can throw a monkey wrench into those gears.
2: <laughs> I will certainly try. I will certainly try, yes.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, going into some of the other mismanagement of the economy, you know, talking about digital currency, uh, let, let me take you into sort of our current status as some of the, the shame of some of the Ways we've managed things over the past few decades. (laughs) Um, So here is a chart showing from 1922 to uh, almost present day uh, our debt, and you can see it's just it's just crazy. You know, I mean, we are going up leaps and bounds like there's no tomorrow. Maybe maybe that is Biden's plan that there's no tomorrow. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But anyways, uh, the debt is uh, just certainly out of control. Um, And you can see this is our GDP growth on a separate chart. And you can see that it's only about 25 years of that. You can see a little bit of progress around 2008 when they had their... when they had the uh, uh, housing crisis. yeah, Exactly, you know, and, and then uh, they had a little bit of a hiccup there. And then, of course, uh, COVID had a hiccup there. But what's more disturbing is when we're, we're coming out of this, it's flattening out, you know, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a big problem if we're trying to get out of all that debt. Uh, so, uh, and here is putting those two together, the debt to GDP, and it's kind of nice. Uh, this is the Congressional Budget Office puts it out. And you can see over time, this shows you relative to the size of the economy, how much debt we have. And you see, this is World War II right here. And this is, you know, this was a huge spike. It was around 100% of, of debt to GDP. Well, we're at those levels today. And the CBO thinks we're going off into the stratosphere. <laughs> so I This is, you know, buckle your seatbelts (laughs) because this is, uh, you know, kind of scary territory. Um, And, uh, of course, this is inflation as well, which is something we're dealing with right now, too, because of, you know, all of this magic money theory or uh, (laughs) I guess is, you know, fans like Krugman are probably, uh, you know, rooting for. I don't know. But anyways, um, this is uh, just crazy times. It seems like we're in. Lars, uh, how would you... Uh, deal with some of these issues in the economy if you became president?
2: Well, two of the people that I voted for for president before had this as one of their number one things, which was Ross Perot and Ron Paul, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, Ross Perot had all the charts that he brought out and he had an infomercial and he was telling everybody about how we were selling out our our children's future, our grandchildren's future, right? And he was talking about probably like a $1 trillion debt, right? Now we're at $32 trillion, right? It's like, man, it is absolutely nuts. And uh, you know, the thing is, I often kind of think about it like Detroit, right? The, in Detroit, they they had the declining auto industry. they had less and less income, and they had, but they still had all these services. and they kept uh, adding on services and and providing pensions and all these things and and they would just keep adding it on the politicians would be like, yes, we passed that, yes, we passed that. And eventually, it can you know it came home to roost and detroit went bankrupt right and all the people got left holding the bag right all the people that uh, that had pensions that worked for the fire department the police department all those people got stuck out right and the politicians that made all the rules they didn't suffer cuz they were already gone right they were already out of office right and so we have the same kind of stupid crap going on in washington where essentially they have figured out that they have this endless bucket that they can try to keep pulling from. It's, it's essentially for them, right? And and because uh, they're looking out in the future and they're like, I'm not gonna be here in 20 years. I don't care. I want to be reelected next time. So I'm just gonna give the people what they want, which is a lot of handouts, right? And, and we now have uh, almost 50% of people in some way in America are getting some kind of government assistance, right? And I think something like 20% of all employment is some kind of government agency, right? So we're becoming more and more dependent on the state, the, the, the federal government. And I don't see this ending anytime soon because they, there's no consequence to them for this modern monetary theory, just spend it doesn't matter. Um, and I've always said one of the ways that they're gonna uh, fix this problem and all the social security problems that they have is they're gonna inflate their way out of it, right? They're gonna promise you that we're gonna pay you back your stuff But by the time they get to paying back your stuff, it's only going to be $0.10 on the dollar, right? And so you're not going to be able to do anything with the money that they owe you, right? So And they're going to do the same thing with their debt. If they inflate it away and essentially have to repay it with you know less valuable dollars, I think that's one of the ways that they're going to do it. But unfortunately, that means that we all have to suffer, right? Because if they're inflating away our dollars, that means our buying power, our standard of living is declining at a rapid rate, right? And so I see this giant rise in debt in, in direct proportion to, you talk about income inequality, you talk about lowering of your standard of living, it's in direct proportion to this debt. This debt going up reduces every everybody pays for it, right? Everybody's paying. We might not be paying with out of our pocket, but we're paying uh, in the in the form of a reduced standard of living. It's it's, uh, it's horrible. I want to balance the budget. I want to get our uh, spending under control, and 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 also you know um, streamline our tax system so that it's free, it's fairer, and more voluntary, and we can all kind of understand you know what's going on and then you know audit the fed and end the fed so that we can see where the hell our money's going and how much they have and what they're printing and all that kind of stuff it's a it's just a bunch of behind the scenes malarkey and we need to end this stuff
1: yeah well and the sad thing is too if even even if somehow you know, from a central planner view, you think that's going to work, uh, inflating the currency. The problem is you can't put the brakes on that very no. easy once you start that no. process. So it just no. destroys the economy. Yeah, well, uh, that's
2: but, what they're doing right now, right? And we're, they're going to drive us straight into a recession. I mean, it's—I'll uh, I, I, be very surprised if in the next year or two we're not in a recession due to all the tightening that they've done to to combat inflation. It's and it's the—you know—the Fed just keeps doing these cycles, right? And it seems like the gyrations are getting harder and faster and it's like at some point something's going to break right and we're seeing that in the banking system right now the banking system is breaking because these guys are moving too fast too quickly and trying and like you said putting the brakes on too hard and it's like the banks are crashing right and then and that and all that really does is drive the banks into more monopoly so that there's only going to be a you know one or two or three banks that you can do business with right because the regulations are basically you know just put them all out of business
1: everything too big to fail <laughs> yeah yeah, that's terrible but uh you know that shows us too you know part of the reason the economy isn't doing as well also is because one of the big economic drivers we had just a few years ago was energy and of course in our uh crusade against climate change which you know there's some legitimacy to some you know environmental concerns but the idea that you know trade offs. It seems like we've lost all sight of trade offs. It's like, you know, a, a, a pipeline, if you are going to use uh, fossil fuel, is actually a more efficient way to transfer that fossil fuel. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's there's different issues here going on that it just seems like we've lost sight of all trade offs. But, anyways, we, we got uh, Biden's first step in office was to kill the Keystone pipeline coming out of Canada that would have helped us to be more uh, in North American, uh, you know, energy uh, independent. Uh, and, of course, you know, here's an article from the Los Angeles uh times talking about you know sweeping changes he's made to you know slow down oil production and such um and the crazy thing is that while he's doing all this and virtue (laughs) signaling he's running around the world trying to buy oil from (laughs) all the places that have some of the worst dictators on earth so what do you think about all this stuff on energy and the environment uh, uh lars
2: yeah so you know i am a big fan of nuclear energy um I, I'm. There's, a, there's new kinds of energy coming out. Uh, Westinghouse just announced some smaller platform uh, nuclear power plants that, uh, that can be replace a, a bunch of the ones that we have, and it, the cost is much simpler or cheaper, and the time to produce them is, is, uh, is quicker. There's new technology, thorium salt reactors. I, I don't know if you guys have looked into that. Uh, and then uh, my big dream and hope for the world is nuclear fusion. Uh, harnessing the power of the sun, essentially, would create energy essentially for zero, right? And everything that we buy, everything that we do in our lives is touched by energy, right? And so uh, Biden, I think, made a mistake in we need energy independence in America because it's a national security issue. Right. It's uh, we have tons of oil in the ground in America. We need to be accessing it. Uh, obviously, we need to you know, be mindful of the environment. But like you said, the pipeline is actually more environmentally friendly than putting all the oil into trucks and driving the stuff, you know, with a machine across across the land and polluting the... So it's uh, it's it, this is like one of those culture war issues or one of those partisan issues that it, it doesn't make a lot of sense but they do it anyway because it panders to the constituency. So I would be in favor of more oil drilling, um, and, but in an environmentally conscious way. But I think nuclear is the, is the much better route going forward. Uh, And, you know, there's, of course, there's a lot of fears. No one wants that in their backyard. Uh, No one wants uh, radiation fallout. But these things have gotten a lot safer in the last 50 years. Uh, And, you know, it it takes 30 years to build a nuclear power plant with all the regulations and, and whatnot. So the technology is going a lot faster than the time it takes to build these things. But like I said, Westinghouse just came out with a new smaller footprint that's much faster and cheaper to build. So I'm hopeful for that. And I'd like to see that for national security reasons. I'd like to see energy independence.
1: Well, it's funny, too, because nuclear is almost like the litmus test to find out if somebody is actually serious about climate change, (laughs) because it clearly is a bridge, at least for the advanced countries, to be able to have uh, uh, nuclear power in the short run. And some of these countries are literally shutting down their nuclear power plants, the ones they already have up, which is just, you know,
2: absolutely nuts. Uh,
0: (laughs) You're asking the same people who have Put us in this position to make rational decisions. Yeah, exactly. Well, and plus,
2: you know, energy independence is essentially like half the wars that we're in, half the things that we're doing over all over the world is all about energy, right? It's all about our resources, natural resources that we're basically fighting for or trying to uh, gain control of. And so if we can like reduce our need for that, we can reduce a lot of the foreign uh, uh, action that we're taking. And I, I think that's a good thing because I'm not I'm not a fan of foreign wars.
1: Yeah, exactly. All those interventions, uh, but uh, uh, you know, in, uh well, you know. In fact, I'll jump to the other topic first, then, because talking about foreign wars, our footprint across the world is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we have uh, this article from Al Jazeera says we have over 750 bases in 80 countries. I've seen estimates as high as a thousand, um, but it, you know, it just shows you they're they're all over the place. Um, and it's, it's it seems to me that is that really defense or is that like an empire? <laughs> and, uh, and, and then to top it off, w- currently, we don't even seem to be able to manage it, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, so, you know, a, from a libertarian perspective, yes, maybe we should start closing these down. But when Biden tries to close it down, it turns into an absolute disaster. I mean, we had people falling from planes as they flew off into the sky. I just, I can't even imagine. And and now he's involved in this whole Ukraine thing that he's got us into, which kind of boggles the mind. You got us out of Afghanistan only to get us into <laughs> another place. And then, uh, and then apparently it, it sounds like we're kind of running out of ammunition. <laughs> and yet he wants to, you know, also... Confront China at Taiwan, and it just seems like this craziness of trying to control the whole world from the United States seems a little bit insane. What do you think about all that, Lars?
2: Yeah, I think that you know a lot of the problems that we have around the world are you know our own creation, essentially, right? We we took twenty years of war. Um, my my buddy Michael White came up with this, and it, it's genius. Uh, we we took twenty years uh, of war to replace the Taliban with the Taliban. <laughs> right. And it's like and 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 we do this all the time. We we will put in our puppet that we want running a thing. And then when we're done with that puppet or they don't are not behaving the way that we want to, we try to overthrow that puppet using the new puppet that we uh, I just it, it's ridiculous. Why is America doing this? It's it's uh, serves no useful purpose. Um, I think all it really does is piss countries off and people off all over the world. Uh, I think that the Taiwan issue if we would just leave it alone wouldn't be an issue. I don't think China's going to do anything to Taiwan. Uh, but I think if we keep you know rattling our sabers and putting our ships over there and and uh, stirring the pot then yeah maybe something might happen, right? But I think that that's going to be on us. I don't feel like it's in their best interest to do anything with Taiwan. It's working fine for them right now, right? And and um so I think we we project a lot of our fears onto countries and we project a lot of our fears of what they might do to us. But I think a lot of times that's just our fear and that that's not really what the reality is. Right. And it's like, you guys probably uh, grew up in the age where we had a duck and cover under the desks because the nuclear bombs were going to fall on us from Russia that was going to kill us. You know, all my life, I grew up thinking Russia was, you know, the ultimate enemy. And then, you know, we had the Berlin wall fall right and russia broke apart and it was and why did that happen well it was because capitalism basically showed everybody hey this is a better way of living right we show like i would rather show people like how to live and let them copy us than try to force our will on other people because no one wants to be forced that but if they see you're living a better life and they're like well i want that life too right then the people can be like no that's what we want we don't want this anymore Right. And so I think it's through our showing our actions uh, instead of telling people how they should behave. We should just show them uh, and, and let them come to that conclusion themselves. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and if we had left, uh, like you said, in Taiwan, if we had left them alone quite a while ago, Taiwan, Japan, uh, you know, South Korea, they might have all formed an alliance over there that could check China at this point. But, uh, you know, we've we decided we were going to be the manager over there and now we're kind of (laughs) waffling. So it's just it's it's crazy. But speaking of another area we've mismanaged, and that is homelessness. Uh, James, can you pull up the visual real quick? So California, it's it's a disaster. It's 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 bad in a lot of places in the country, but California is particularly bad. Um, and these are some uh, pictures. Uh, this shows just kind of a ubiquitous scene that you might see in a lot of places in California right now. Uh, here's an article near San Francisco that talked about some crazy two-mile line of people Parking their their campers and trailers uh, along a road—it's just uh, just out of hand. Uh, and of course, HUD has numbers showing—you know, California certainly worse than most. Uh, it, it tends to be more of a blue state problem, but there are a few red states that are significant too, like Alaska. W- what would what would a president Lars do on homelessness?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a lot that the president can do on homelessness. That, but one of the big things that I feel is, is a contributor to homelessness is, is drugs. And so I'd like to end the war on drugs. I'd like to deschedule uh, the drugs that are, that are there. Uh, I feel like prohibition just, it just breeds more, uh, of the same activity and it breeds a lot of underground activity and we need to get people help, right? I'm actually, uh, uh, been sober for 36 years myself so i know what some of these people are going through and the hard times that they're going through and it's not an easy uh uh, problem to solve it's something that i've thought about a lot since i live in california right and i feel like as long as people aren't harming people if if you know if you're homeless and you're not harming someone i don't really not have a problem with that if you need to sleep on a public park i'd don't really have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is if you're coming into my house and taking my stuff to feed your drug habit, that, that I got a problem with, right? And I feel like, uh, I call it compassionate enabling, right? It's um, that, that we want to um, help people, but, but we actually harm people more by giving them help oftentimes, right? It's like, um, and then also turning a blind eye, right, to to legal stuff. It's like, oh, well, they stole that, but it's not worth our time to put them in jail because of whatever, which just leads to moral hazard and just breeds more of that kind of behavior, right? So I think we need to hold people accountable. Uh, We need to get people help if they want it to get off the drugs and, and alcohol that they're on, because that's a big part of homelessness. Um, I know in, in the Santa Cruz where I live, there was a study done and it was something like 65 to 70% of all people who were homeless, had some kind of substance abuse problem. So I feel like that's the big elephant in the room that no one really talks about. And I think the drug war is, is a big part of that problem. We've had a 50 year war on drugs. And there's more people doing drugs today than there ever was in my entire life, right? It's just, it's failed. It does not work, right? And so we needed to throw that out completely, start over, uh, and and focus more on education and treatment than on putting people in prison for, you know, smoking a marijuana joint or something like that. Yeah.
1: It does seem like we, we go back and forth on this stuff where not only do we prohibi- uh, prohibition on it, but then our government, like here in California, we were literally handing out free drugs, too, during the COVID <laughs> crisis. So it's just like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, and it's just all a mess in the end. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're just about out of time. Let me get to our last topic here. So gun control. Um, you know, we've had quite a few issues of mass shootings lately. Um, this is just a chart from uh, Statista. I guess it's a uh, uh, um by year, uh, mass shooting counts as four or more people in this statistic, uh, um, that are killed, uh, in a particular, I, th- I think, or maybe it's shot or killed. I'm not sure which, but, uh, in a particular, uh, shooting, uh, you yeah, said fatalities. Yeah. And so, um, anyways, w- we just saw there was one in Texas the other day, there was the one in, uh, Tennessee. Uh, so w- we're seeing, uh, quite a few of these things, but on the flip side of things, um, you know, guns do prevent, uh, a fair amount of gun violence as well. Uh, and oddly the government wants to shut down that information. So, uh, you know, with the CDC was doing a study on this stuff that was showing, uh, a lot of people were actually defending themselves, uh, and had prevented gun violence with guns and, uh, the CDC decided to hide that study. Anyways, uh, clearly this is a contentious issue. How would, a uh, uh, president Mapstead look at this?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't believe in federal I don't believe there should be federal gun laws Uh, and I don't believe that prohibition works. It didn't work with alcohol. We we hadn't you know, we had a a constitutional amendment for that. We got rid of that. Uh, It didn't work. It doesn't work on drugs. It doesn't work with guns. It doesn't work with people. When you're when you're prohibiting people from coming across the border, it doesn't work because we have three million people came across the border. Right. But we prohibit it. Right. There's a ban on it. Uh, And it does. It doesn't work. And so uh, I don't believe that uh, outlying guns or certain types of guns is going to fix this problem uh, because I feel like it's a cultural issue. Right there. uh, This is a lot of these uh, mass shootings is essentially a public suicide. The person wants to kill themselves, they want to be out, and and they want to take out as many people as they can before they go out, right? A lot of times they end up dead, and that's because that's what they want, right? And I heard something really interesting the other day on uh, Larry Sharp's show. Uh, the guy, a guy was basically saying that we're not going to have uh, an uprising, we're not going to have an, a new rebellion in America what we're having is these types of issues. This is essentially what uh, comes out of people being so fed up with the system. They have, they don't feel like the system is working for them and they don't feel like there's any hope of getting the system to change. And so they go out with a bang. Right. And, and so I don't think that, uh, you know, fixing gun laws is going to change this because, uh, You know, if the person wants to go out like that, they can get in a car and they can run over 50 people walking down the street. Right. And, and, uh, and I think that would just be the thing that switches. So I, I feel like I, I understand where people are at. I hate seeing people die. I hate seeing people and especially children die. That's horrible. Right. But I just honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe that, uh, getting rid of guns or banning guns is not going to fix this problem. It's a cultural issue. uh, And, and I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in favor of federal gun laws.
0: Dealing with uh, gun violence, you get rid of the gun. You still have the violence, right? You still have the the desire to commit violence. And when you have people who are determined to make the world feel their pain, which is what a lot of these happens is people want the world to feel their pain. They're going to make the world feel their pain somehow, some way. And, and so, you know, short circuiting that or dealing with that before it becomes an issue. You you know, let's start a lot of these people. I warned about this a couple of years ago. You're going to put people under pressure who are not used to being under pressure and they will crack.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's also another thing. Um, If you look, America is the number one user of antidepressants in the world as a as a country more people are on antidepressants in america than any per capita than any other country that there is and a lot of these uh mass shootings if you look a lot of the people are on some form of antidepressant and i want and i'm i haven't really seen anybody talking about that or looking into studies about that but it you know there are issues with antidepressants and feeling uh, you know out of sorts or feeling suicidal you hear a lot of people um have have that issue and so maybe that is one of the reasons why we're seeing such a, a big influx of this is is the heavy use of antidepressants in america well and
0: antidepressants like to- can be very weird i took some for a while and for me it made it you not care about anything right you weren't depressed anymore but you weren't happy anymore either right <laughs> and that's that's a difficult way to live as well and so you know it's this is a, like we said this is a complex issue and simplifying yep. it into guns or or mental health, it, making it overly simplified is, is part of the problem we're, we're facing.
2: But it's easy to sell people on that, right? Yeah, the government, yeah. the, people are looking for a solution And that's that's the solution that seems to be the one that would work the best for most people. Right. That's the solution. But I am not convinced at all that taking away people's guns is going to do that, just as I'm not convinced that, you know, the Patriot Act was useful or that the restrict act would be useful. That uh, that basically taking away people's rights so that we can reduce our fears, I don't think is a good path to go down ever. Uh, I think that freedom and our rights are more important than our fears. And we've seen that.
0: Right. The yeah. desire to do something has caused all kinds of problems, it caused problems in, with COVID response. It causes problems with homelessness response, it, you know, whatever, pick your issue, the <laughs> desire to do something and, uh, and run that with emotions rather than, okay, we want to do something about this. Let's th- calmly think it through. And, but instead we act on emotions and simple and overly simplest, uh, yeah. solutions. So, all right. Well, I'm off my soapbox
1: now. (laughs) I was going to say one one of the added things to all this, too, that might be dividing us on some of this stuff is that, you know, as government gets bigger, I mean, you can kind of track all those mass shootings going up as government also becomes has a bigger footprint in our lives. And as government has a bigger footprint in our lives, everything becomes a zero sum game. I mean, if if the other side wins, that means you lose on a lot more things if you're not, you know, because you vote for one person and that's a whole market basket of things together that you're getting so you know the stakes become higher and higher the bigger and bigger government gets so you know maybe maybe that's part of what's driving some of this too uh, i don't know but yeah well
2: uh, a lot of know, you know people love government coercion when it serves their purpose and 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 puts down the other side and gives them the moral high ground, but they hate government coercion when it's used against them, right? <laughs> and so, and I believe that the the division we have in America is essentially government coercion is this this use of force by the government to uh, insert your will, your beliefs, and your ideas on another group of people uh, that that just always ends up poorly, right? And so, uh, I feel like if we reduce the government. And we reduce the level of coercion, we'll reduce the division in, in America. And that, I, I, I truly believe that.
1: Well, That certainly sounds like a great note to, to wrap up on. Uh, so we, we've gone through all of our issues. Lars, uh, we'll bring up your webpage again here. Did you want to say uh, any last words about the campaign before we uh, before we check out?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you can find me at Lars24.com. On social media, I'm on uh, Facebook, Lars for President. On Twitter, I'm LibertarianLars. Uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, fundraising is really challenging, right? It's one of the biggest challenges that I've come across. And so I'm looking for uh, donors who would help me project my message out to the people. Uh, like I said, I've reached uh, 23 million people on Facebook. And in order to continue to expand that reach, I need to do advertising to get more uh, followers. And so I'm looking for uh, financial help in that in that regard. Um, and, yeah, I'm just looking forward to... Spreading our message and helping the Libertarian Party move forward uh, with, uh, with uh, several plans. I have a, the, um, the Lars 24 Challenge, which challenges all Libertarian can- uh, voters to get one new registered Libertarian voter. And if we all do that, we can double the size of the party. Uh, I'm working on that Go Gold thing that I talked to you about, which helps all candidates raise funds across the country. And, and then supporting our local candidates and, and spreading our message because the president for Libertarian Party is about fundraising and spreading our message and, uh, and is the biggest driver of new growth for the party. And those are the things that I'm really focused on.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lars. And again, if you want to check out more on Lars' uh, specifics on the campaign, we did another show with him. You can go check that one out uh, as well. Um, And uh, again, thanks for joining us today out there. And until next time, stay tuned and stay free.
2: Thank you. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.